Welcome to Powder Keg Igniting Startups, episode 24 with Brian Clark. And if you've been listening for a while, you can see the recurring theme here. Brian, yes, is yet again another serial entrepreneur. But Brian's a little bit different. He's got several seven-figure online businesses, including Rainmaker Digital. Well, actually, Rainmaker Digital is now an eight-figure software company where he currently serves as CEO. And guess what? He did it all without moving to Silicon Valley or raising any venture funding. Brian and I recorded this interview at a really interesting time just before he launched his Unemployable podcast. It now reaches more than tens of thousands of subscribers, and you'll see why after this interview. But for right now, what you need to know is I am your host, Matt Hunkler, and I am the founder and CEO of Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent. And as my team and I have grown Verge over the past seven years, we've hosted more than a thousand entrepreneurs at our events around the world. Those founders have gone on to raise more than $500 million in capital collectively. They're disrupting industries, creating wealth, and changing the world. And they're doing it in areas outside of Silicon Valley. That's right. We are unapologetically unvalley here at Powder Keg, and that's why we started this podcast. Each guest has their own Powder Keg full of raw skills and talents that have ignited their startups and fueled their growth. These are their stories. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Hunkler, and that's H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R. And what I want you to do is let me know how Verge, Powder Keg, and I can help you with your entrepreneurial journey. In the meantime, please make sure you subscribe to the Powder Keg podcast wherever you listen to your shows. We are on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the major podcast outlets, including, of course, iTunes. And you can find all of those links to subscribe at our website, powderkeg.com. Yes, we now have the .com, which makes us oh so official. And that's Powder Keg all one word dot com you can also find all of the transcriptions the show notes all the links to everything we talk about in each and every episode including this one and of course you can subscribe to make sure you don't miss a single thing thank you to all of you powder keggists out there who have already left us a review in itunes it's your feedback and the sharing that helps us reach more people and grow this community. We're reaching thousands of people every month, and I'm so excited about that. This week's episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by Developer Town. Something you might not know about Developer Town is that they actually help enterprise companies move like a startup. Corporate innovators often work with Developer Town to explore software solutions that support their business needs. And now the cool thing is Developer Town leverages all of their years working with startups, and they can help companies better understand the viability of potential software solutions, apps, products that they're doing digitally, and quickly bring them to market. Developer Towns created this proven sprint to market process so that large enterprises can move like a startup. You can find out more about Developer Town, read up on them at developertown.com slash powder keg. That's Developer Town, all one word, powder keg, all one word. Again, that's developertown.com slash powder keg. Developer Town, start something. Okay, listen up, Powder Keggers, because today our guest is Brian Clark, who is a pioneer in the now $44 billion content marketing industry. He's been building businesses with online content marketing since 1998, way before anyone used that term and way before I was even in high school. He's amassed a massive following, as you might suspect, and you can find him on all the social channels at Brian Clark or even at Copyblogger which is the publication that Brian launched in 2006. 
Copy bloggers started as a simple one-man blog. Today, they're known as Rainmaker Digital, a digital commerce company with more than 200,000 unique customers. This software company has grown using useful content, smart copywriting, and exceptional products and services. I, I know, I've actually used them myself. I can testify, really great software. The cool thing is, they took a really unusual path for a software company. Rainmaker Digital didn't look for venture capital to fund the development of its platform. Instead, the company grew to $12 million in annual revenue and more than their 200,000 unique customers without advertising, without venture funding, and all thanks to content marketing that built and served their audience. Since 2010, they grew from their small team to now 65 plus smart, passionate people all around the world. They're based in Boulder, Colorado, and everyone at Rainmaker Digital is free to live and work wherever they want. I told you they're unconventional. Such a cool company. But you know, as I mentioned, this is an old recording and I've never released it. I've just been kind of sitting on it. I've been waiting for the right moment until we had a big enough audience for all of this to really soak in because I wanted the audience to get the most value and get the biggest impact with this episode. Since it's recording, as I mentioned, Brian has launched Unemployable, a killer podcast with incredible audience and incredible resources. You can check out all of that at unemployable.com and you'll want to subscribe to it after listening to this episode because Brian's a super smart, tell it like it is kind of guy. He's totally unconventional. And if you're anything like me, you're gonna love him. Are you ready for this? Let's set this thing off. Hey, Matt Hunkler here, and I'm so excited today because I am here with Brian Clark, co-founder of Copyblogger, uh, Rainmaker FM, the Rainmaker platform. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Brian, you have a, an awesome history, and you're calling in there from Boulder, Colorado, which is just uh, a real hub of startup activity, uh, both on the tech and entrepreneurship uh, side, sort of more of the, the startup and software space, all the way to kind of the new media, freelancer types, uh, really creative space. You yourself have founded nine companies, eight of which have been successful. You and your entire blog, Copy Blogger, were a real inspiration when I was starting my first real company in 2007. And I've been following really ever since, as much as I can. You know how startup days can be sometimes when you just go into uh, media detox mode. But when I have to cut it down to one or two blogs, yours is always the one that makes the cut. I'm really, really excited to be here and excited to dig in. It's great to hear that, number one. Number two, it's always even better, you know, more than even... Uh, I learned how to write better or I learned content marketing. I started a company. That's what I love to hear be, or more than one company. That was re the a real original point of copy blogger, even though it kind of morphed into this content marketing resource. My original idea was to teach writers how to become entrepreneurs. And you'd be amazed at how resistant they are to that. <laughs> but luckily, it, it reached a broader audience. And, and we have, uh, luckily, there's lots of great stories of people who have launched businesses and have said thank you over the years. So I love that. Well, Brian, why do you think people are so resistant to the idea of entrepreneurship sometimes? Oh, you know, it's scary. I think to a certain degree, those of us who are drawn to it are, are maybe wired differently and perhaps not even in a good way. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just started a new podcast called Unemployable and I'm not kidding. That's a funny name to call ourselves, but I was not good at working for other people. Yep. I can absolutely relate to that. Despite having you know, more than a dozen 
entrepreneurial jobs uh, in the past, actually being able to run my own show, create the kind of impact that I want to create in the way that I want to create it from wherever I want to create it has been really empowering. And, and stories like yours have been really encouraging along the way. You know, I've listened to every episode of the Unemployable podcast. And, and by the way, for anyone that's listening, highly recommend checking out that series. Brian does an awesome job of giving you just the nugget of exactly what you need to hear. Obviously, Brian's got the radio voice of all radio voices. So it's it's a great way to start the day, very inspiring and actionable as well. But in, in talking about that term, unemployable, you kind of frame it as these people could get jobs if they wanted to. They just prefer not to. And why is it that you think uh, entrepreneurs would actually make a good employee in a growing company? Well, I mean, anyone who is a self-starter, creative, has the ability to seek out innovative ideas based on just raw curiosity. It hasn't always been the case, but now that's the kind of person that companies of all sizes are looking for. And it's interesting, I've touched on kind of this coming wave of automation and, and computerization that's going to apparently eliminate a lot of jobs. And when you read the jobs that are safe or the type of people that are safe, they sound exactly like entrepreneurs, which begs the question, who wants a job, you know, even if you're highly compensated, if you could do your own thing? Because the news, I, there was a particular Fast Company article that said every industry will become like Wall Street and, you know, Palo Alto tech in that you'll have all these perks so that you never go home. So you work 80, 100 hours a week. And I'm like, if I'm going to do that, I'm doing it on my own, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know that you haven't always been an entrepreneur yourself. Can you take me back to the day? I don't know how many years ago that was. Maybe it's decades at this point. What, what was the last job you had where you relied on a paycheck? What was the office like? How did you feel every day going into that office? It was terrible. And I had a really, you know, objectively great job, I guess. Um, I was an <laughs> attorney. So I graduated from law school in 94. At that point, uh, I did really well in law school, but I knew pretty much already I didn't want to practice law. And it was interesting because 94 was the beginning of the commercial web also. So for four years, I went home and looked at this really crappy monitor. I think it was this compact computer I had, mainly only to get online. And I'm thinking there's got to be reaching all these people that you can make a living. My problem was I was a liberal arts major with a law degree. I'd never taken a business class, never read a marketing book. In many ways, that was a blessing because the internet really did turn some things upside down, especially with regard to marketing. On the other hand, you should never quit your job that clueless because I was about as clueless as you can get. But I think the key point being that I was just miserable at the time. I was convinced I wanted to write for a living. I dabbled with the idea of becoming a screenwriter. But then here's that independent streak again. I didn't want to deal with New York publishing and I didn't want to be a cog in Hollywood. You know, writers are not exactly treated the best in Hollywood, or at least they weren't. <laughs> so I went back to the Internet thing and I'm like this. There's got to be something here. So probably not the best way to get started. But I'm the type of guy who works really well under pressure. So instead of doing the side hustle, <laughs> as it's called now, I just quit. 
Are there things that you would do differently now or in general if you're recommending an entrepreneur or someone that wants to be an entrepreneur of how to get started down the entrepreneurial path? Would you recommend taking the same approach that you did those years ago? Well, as a father now, I would have to think, what would you (laughs) tell your son or daughter? And I would say, keep your job and work nights and weekends until you get in a position where you feel like, you know, you can you can pull that off without a lot of drama. Odds are they would probably say, Dad, I have an idea for a business. Can I have some money? And I'd be like, no. (laughs) Wow. Tough love, Dad. Well, I'm a big fan of bootstrapping, you know, (laughs) you know, reality is I hope they're not listening to this, but I, I probably would. But I would be tough. I'd be an investor more than dad to a certain degree and just say, look, have you thought this through? I mean, do you know who you're trying to reach? Do you know how you're going? You know, all the standard stuff that a lot of times when we're young, we have an idea and we don't think about everything that that involves, including does anyone actually want to buy or use this thing, which is number one. And so how did you test that out in the early days? Because I know your kind of approach with Copyblogger was sort of to build the audience first and then find the products that they wanted to buy, create those products and sell those products. Uh, Are you doing the same thing now, now that you're in the software business? Well, yeah. So, you know, all the software, we started getting into software in 2008 in the WordPress space and then it just continued to get more sophisticated each year. Mm-hmm. So, but it's all been the outgrowth of serving a particular market. And to a certain degree, that market is me in that <laughs> I'm a content creator. I'm not technologically illiterate, but I'm not a coder either. So our goal It's an interesting story if you're familiar with 37 Signals, which is now known as Basecamp. Yep. But back in 2005, before I started Copyblogger, I looked at how they had transitioned from a design firm into a software. And I said, it's too bad I could never do that. And then, of course, that's exactly what we did, not because I learned how to code, but because I collaborated and, and partnered and and, and built, uh, what we needed to do that. So, but, but at essence, I've always kind of been our target audience, except that I understood this content marketing thing before it became a thing. Well, now, Brian, I'm gonna have to stop you there because you said, you said to yourself in the past, I know I could never do that, but then you went ahead and did it anyway. So my question to you is what changed? As you, you know, as you go along and you, you start seeing the possibilities, um, but, uh, you know, I didn't really plan. I, I really did build the audience at Copyblogger with not just faith, but the understanding that I would identify problems and desires that they have. And then I'd figure out what to make in order to satisfy those problems and desires. And that's kind of the opposite of what people do. They have an idea for a product and they're not even necessarily sure that it solves a real problem. And then they go out and try to sell it and then they struggle to reach people. And even then when they do that, they realize that people didn't want it. So flipping that on its head, the minimum viable product approach is more in line with what we do, except rather than some of the other ways that you can test whether someone will buy a particular product, whether it be software or a t-shirt, you know, for that matter, we started with an audience first 
so that we had that group of real people to interact with, identify those problems and desires as we were dealing with them from a broader sense in the information realm. And then so our, we always launch with an MVP process. The promise is always, this is 1.0. It's going to get better with your feedback. So you're getting our best deal. We're like the opposite of Apple. Apple, <laughs> you know, will give you their early version and screw you, all the early adopters, including me, because <laughs> we all run out and buy it, even though that's why I didn't buy an Apple Watch, because I learned from the iPhone. It's going to be a lot better in about three years. Oh, so you're no longer an early adopter. You learned your lesson. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to develop some restraint. <laughs> it's important, especially in uh, the technology world. You know, I think that I exactly. uh, I bought an early version of um, Premise. Was that one of your products? Yeah, that was a plugin that did landing pages and membership functionality. The membership functionality was always fine, but we were never happy with the landing pages because it really needed to be in a hosted environment. So that was a precursor technology to what's in the Rainmaker platform now, which is hosted. That's kind of what I was was gathering from looking at Rainmaker on the website earlier this week. You know, it, it was interesting because you mentioned that you invited people to be early adopters, and I'm pretty sure that that's that was what I was an early adopter on. And I ended up sitting with that piece of software for probably a year and a half before we actually implemented it. Um, but I, whatever you did, I'm sure it was a combination of the copywriting and the trust that you had built me over time as a reader of Copy Blogger that I said, hey. I don't have two nickels to scrape together, but this seems like the thing I should spend my money on. <laughs> I'm going to need this someday. So <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, speaking of trust, I think I first heard about you in a book called Trust Agents by Chris Brogan and Julian Smith. And I've gotten to know both those guys over the years. And uh, one of the things that they, one of the books that they wrote later was The Impact Equation. Did you happen to read that, Brian? I did. It's been a couple of years now. And I remember that Brogan and I were actually going to collaborate on something related to the whole impact brand. And then we both got busy and it didn't happen. But that was a good book. Yeah. That, you know, I think Impact Equation, in terms of the books I've read over the last three or four years, Impact Equation has been one of the more kind of eye-opening ones, sort of frame-shifting. And one of the concepts that they talk about in that book is sort of the, the leveling up. And one of the questions I have for you is, you know, looking at where you are now with an eight-figure business, 50-some employees all over the world, um, you know, creating not just great content, but great products that are clearly very profitable. What were some of the level-up moments or even what was the most uh, memorable level-up moment for you? And when I say level-up moment, I mean, you know, obviously you do the same things every day. And you're going to see incremental increases over time as a whole. Obviously, not every day is up, but hopefully over time, if you're consistent enough, which you clearly are, you're going to go up and to the right. But there are some of those moments where you just really level up and go into a different league. Were there any moments like that for you in sort of the entire process of copy blogger or even the businesses before that? Yeah, that's a great question, by the way. And Here's a funny thing. It's almost been a decade since I started Copy Blogger. And if you would have told me that in January of 2006, I would have laughed at you, right? <laughs> because I'm like, look, this is just a blog to get you know out there, show people what I can do. And my whole thing was I'll just partner with people on different businesses and kind of build this portfolio of, of income streams. And that's what I did for the years. 
And each year was kind of a level up. You know, you asked how did I end up doing what I said I couldn't do as with regard to software? Well, that was a, a level up moment. And then the next, you know, from a WordPress design framework to a SaaS was a huge leap between 2008 and the end of 2009. But I'd say the biggest jump was when I took, you know, the companies that I had launched off of Copy Blogger, did some shuffling and swapping out and basically merged five companies together to form Copy Blogger Media, which is the company now since September of 2010. And I say that was the biggest level up because I never aspired to run a 55-person company, uh, which is really kind of small for what we're able to pull off. But still, um, that wasn't my intention going into it. All those people I was partnered with weren't talking to each other because they had no economic incentive to do so. So the first time all of those people were ever in one room together was in Denver in 2010. And in two hours, we formed uh, a new company, merging all the other companies. Everyone's equity was worked out. And that sounds kind of amazing. And, and frankly, it is. But we had a shared vision that we wanted to build a certain thing. And that thing was an all-in-one solution. And that finally came out uh, in 2014 and it's called the Rainmaker platform. And obviously that will continue to evolve into uh, a more sophisticated version of, of that original vision. Now, tell me a little bit about the kinds of companies that are using the Rainmaker platform right now, because I think that a lot of times when people see these marketing softwares or platforms that are good for content creation, they think, oh, this is for people who are creating a blog and that's their main source of income is doing affiliate sales or creating information products. Are you currently serving any customers outside of that realm that are selling physical products or software products? A lot of professional services, mm -hmm. um, less on the e-commerce side, although I think that will change when we add that functionality, which is coming very soon. So I would say, and you'll, you'll see as we go forward, really you can start seeing it now, the division between Copyblogger, StudioPress, and now Rainmaker FM, that we've identified different types of customers. And, and one type of customer I would say would be a content marketing customer. They sell everything from physical stuff. Uh, they may have a retail store, uh, a lot of professional services like lawyers, uh, realtors, consultants, freelancers. And it's basically a lead generation mechanism that works really well. And then the other big group of people that we have, I would call digital customers and essentially copy blogger. We are a digital commerce company, meaning we sell digital products and services. We don't sell physical things. We're not in retail stores and we don't really sell services. So there's a big contingent of people who, you know, they create online courses, they sell eBooks, they sell software. There are people who more or less are in the same kind of business that we are. So we've even, as a go forward thing, we've identified that we really have two very, very distinct channels that need to be talked to differently, provided different content, provided even different training and services. So those are our two main channels and it's fairly well split. I think we're just going to continue to try to grow both of those in tandem, even though it's the same platform. That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like you've really... Uh, done a lot of analysis, whether it's of the 
metrics or even talking on the phone with some of your customers uh, to better understand who it is exactly who wants this thing that you're creating. And it sounds like you might even be creating a new persona with sort of the e-commerce side of things that would give you another channel to market your platform to. Why is it so important to know who it is you're selling your end product to? I mean, that, that's everything. I mean, you almost, you have to know who they are to a certain degree before you even launch. But once you do, I always, you know, the launch is only the beginning of the iterative process. You know, this is uh, lean startup stuff, I guess. I was fortunate when I started Copyblogger, I somehow just fell into this adaptive kind of uh, iterative content development thing where I didn't plan too far in the future. I would always see what happens, you know, do more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff. And when I met Tony Clark, who was my first partner, but he's also now our COO, we're not related. You know, he came from a software background. So he's like, you know, what you're doing is agile content development. And, and this is a form of lean. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is in 2007. <laughs> uh, and so he explained it all to me and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because it seems like good common sense to, to do that way. You're, we're in an interactive real time environment. So you have to play it that way. It's almost like improvisation with a plan to a certain degree. And then a few years later, obviously, all of those lean and agile concepts have become the norm. And I think that is fantastic. You know, you don't have to be a funded startup in order to buy into those processes that the Valley is in love with because they just make sense. And it doesn't matter if you're in Indianapolis or Boulder or, uh, you know, Silicon Valley. Sure. That's really good perspective. Uh, and it's cool that you mentioned Tony, because I've heard you talk about Tony Clark, your co-founder previously. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you two met and why you decided it was a good idea to partner up with a co-founder as opposed to go it alone and do it yourself like you had in previous businesses? Yeah. So my plan was really only to collaborate, usually either, you know, partnerships or joint venture to some degree, um, because I wanted to, at that point in my entrepreneurial career, I wanted to do what I was good at and that I loved and that's it. And in my previous businesses, I kind of did everything like we tend to do. And I wasn't really good at processes. Mainly, I didn't take the time to implement any. So I worked 18 hours a day to make sure everything stayed together but that wasn't a very good time. <laughs> so when I met Tony, Tony was, he's a consummate processes guy and he was a blogger at the time, but he wanted to quit blogging so badly. <laughs> he said, you know, the la he said the, the day that we partnered is the last day that I'm writing anything. And more or less that's been the case. But the main reason I partnered with him that first time is we were talking and we came up with something we both wanted to do. And it was a big thing turned into a uh, online education course. And it just made sense to me that, you know, I need a designer and coder, which Tony can both do. And I'll primarily be the content guy and, and we'll do this. And that was a smart move. And in that first company, which went to about seven figures in a year or less, uh, that was really the beginning of, you can trace that forward to Copyblogger Media. But the next year I did another partnership and the next year I did another one. So there were co-founders of individual companies. By the time we got to 2010, if you're going to do a merger, 
you've got co-founders built in, right? So really, if you look at it, I followed a path and took opportunity as it came along. I got a lot of people who approached me to partner uh, in various degrees because I had the audience. And I said no to 95% of everything. And that's the key, saying no. But I said yes to things that were right for my audience, not just right for my, you know, wallet. And it turned out to be right for, for both. And that, that's the key. It's so it can be tempting, I guess, to make the quick buck, but I never was going to do that. And I think that's why we've never had a product fail. It's always about them first. And yet we end up getting rewarded for, for doing that correctly. Uh, that's a really good thing to call out in terms of that relationship with Tony and your willingness to test things. Obviously, he had propensity to be a little bit agile in his approach and kind of embrace the lean startup methodology, which I don't think was actually released back in 2007. Uh, but I think probably, probably 2009 or 10. But it sounds like principally you guys are were really aligned, and that's probably why that's made such a good partnership there. But I'm guessing that over the years, as you guys built this technology company, there are times that you just wanted to pull your hair out. And there were certain things that uh, Tony did that kind of drive you crazy at times. If I were to talk to Tony and ask him the question, hey, what's the one thing that Brian does that gets in the way of this the success of copy bloggers' true potential? What do you think he would say? That gets in the way. Hmm. I don't know. Tony and I are in the, as the company has grown, um, the philosophy and processes that we had when we were three people are still in place at 55 people um, because they scale, right? And we have had certain people who come from a more corporate background. They're the ones who want to pull their hair out with us because, you know, we never, there's never been what would be called a true pivot where we just completely said, no, that was a bad idea. But it is a constant iteration. We're small enough to where we can turn on a dime, and we do. And I think a, a couple of years ago, it took some people, they thought that was crazy and that we were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they'll see it work. You know, They'll see that we adapted to the indications we were getting from real people, not an idea that we came up with or not how we wish the world worked, but how it's really happening. So... Tony and I compliment each other really well. I've got nothing bad to say about him, so he better not say anything bad about me. <laughs> well, that's a good philosophy to have. And it's not necessarily bad. You know, I, I think that sometimes our, our weaknesses or our, our failures or shortcomings, uh, you know, having someone that can call you out on that, obviously, hopefully. Oh, yeah, pri- but that hopefully. is key, though, and, and that's part of the relationship because, yeah, he's not afraid to say uh, no, and I'm not afraid to say that to him. And I think that's what makes it a good working relationship. So long before we would have a chance, I think, to complain to others about each other, we've already hashed it out <laughs> amongst <laughs> these. And and that's a lesson for, for those out there who have partners, co-founders, or considering, uh, you know, bringing someone in at that level, the ability to be frank, honest, you know, even brutally so and yet still walk away with respect for one another on an ongoing basis. That's a thing to really treasure, you know, but you, on the other hand, I could easily 
given the position I was in when, when partners or potential partners came to me, you know, I could have attracted a bunch of yes men and I would hate that because that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I think the idea of having people that just say yes to your ideas all the time would be exhausting and not just for them, but for you too, because then you'd have to go and execute on all of those ideas. Um, when you're, when you're looking at kind of scaling that company from three people to 55 people, you said that the systems you set up when you were three people scaled to the size you were when you were 55. You know, I think a lot of the founders in the Verge community have similar teams in that, in that range. I'm curious, what are some of the key systems that you had in place when you were three people that helped you scale to that 55? Yeah. And this again would be a conversation to have with Tony and, and frankly, he would be a great interview. I'm actually going to do a webinar with him for our unemployable audience on oh, that awesome. very on that very topic. But essentially, it's you know, at its essence, I would say I'm very exacting and put it that way to put it nicely. In that, the audience and customer experience down to the finest detail, there's nothing that's too small. And anytime you come back to me and say oh, that doesn't matter. That's about the only way to make me upset because, you know, I, I always say that it's the aggregation of a ton of little details and you don't know which detail. So you just have to try to do your best to get, you know, everything, the big things certainly, but also the little things. So whenever I would go to Tony and say, okay, look, this isn't acceptable. Instead of putting a bandaid on it, Tony would work it into a process that was teachable, scalable, and replicable. And that's his genius, really, in that he never band-aids anything. Now, me, you know, in my previous companies, why I worked so hard, I was constantly band-aiding things instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, you need to create uh, a process that lives outside your brain, number one, and make it so that other people can repeat it and act on it. Well, it sounds like a pretty awesome partnership, almost like uh, a Batman and Robin there. And I'll let it let you and uh, the other Clark decide which one gets to be Batman. But it, it's cool to hear how you guys operate and uh, how you're growing, Copy Blogger and Rainmaker. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear your perspective. You know, being in the software space and then deciding to launch Rainmaker FM. Uh, a podcasting network and really the, one of the premier podcasting networks out there right now with some of the best podcasts on there. Why did you decide to go into that world when really you'd been living the online world of tons of great typed and written content uh, and then creating software around that that seemed to be working? Why go into the world of podcasting? Yeah, because we do have a, a, a very large um, audience of readers, the type of people who create content, writers, et cetera, tend to favor reading, not universally, but it's a pretty strong correlation. But if you look at the overall population of people, reading is the smallest preferred <laughs> information absorption medium, if you will. So how do you grow beyond that? And obviously, if you look at video, audio, and text, video is probably a lot of people's preferred way, you know, to be entertained, but also to learn. I'm not one of those people. I'm a reader. So that makes sense that I started writing for writers, if you will. But audio, 
has a lot of advantages in that it's the one format that doesn't require you to look at a screen or to use your eyes. You can truly do other stuff like uh, drive, work out, run, hike, walk, whatever the case may be. So it's portable, on-demand. Podcasting broke big last year just as we were starting to take it seriously. But the real reason for the podcast network is twofold. One, audience expansion. If we just stick to tech, ignoring all those people who don't like to read, and that's a lot of people. So it wouldn't be viable just to stick to text, I think, when you look at the universe of people who are interested in what the platform might be able to do for them. Number two, Rainmaker FM, Rainmaker.fm, is built on the Rainmaker platform. So it's also a demonstration of the platform that the network is promoting. And we've always been big on that. Don't claim that it's great, show that it's great. And then if we can get someone to sign up for the free trial, they can uh, they can see for themselves. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're thinking about these things uh, all the time, as are the rest of us. Uh, anyone who's in any industry is thinking about how the web is changing and how uh, digital formats are changing, uh, or analog formats for that matter. Uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective on where do you think we'll be here in the next three to five years as it pertains to anything, wh- whether it's uh, audio and video content to even things like virtual reality or wearables like the I, I watch that you didn't buy? I get asked this question a lot, and I always say if I could call this one exactly right, I'd be on an island right now and we wouldn't be talking. So, <laughs> But I do actually have an answer for that, and I've actually written about it before. You know, when it comes down to it, you've got you've got text, you've got audio and you've got visual content. Now, there are blends of those content and virtual reality and wearables certainly present the most interesting evolution from a contextual and technological standpoint. And yet I always tell people, don't worry about that quite so much until you have the fundamentals down, until you know who you're trying to talk to, until you know what it is that they're going to respond to and you're delivering that to them one way or another. Because once you get that down, you can transport into other mediums, other context, all of that. And that's fine. But I always, people are like, what's your Periscope strategy? Well, It would be exactly the same if I got the indication that people wanted to see me talking into my phone on video, you know, I mean, so don't just chase after the new and shiny. If you, if you're not connecting now, connect with a blog and then move to video or audio, you know what I'm saying? You've got to start somewhere and figure it out. And then you can move into pretty much any other realm that comes along. That's really, really good perspective and uh, something that I think people can act on immediately. If they're not already blogging, getting their first blog post out, it couldn't possibly be any easier than it is today. You know, I, I think that one of the things that has come up a couple times in this interview is that you're a reader. And I think that's really cool because I'm a, I'm a reader too and uh, not even the Kindle variety. I, for whatever reason, really like analog books. <laughs> I like being able to highlight them, mark them up. Uh, And I I like being able to go back and reference them. I feel the same way about real books. But the fact that I can take a thousand of them with me and, you know, on my phone can't beat that either. So I'm adapting to the the digital book uh, thing just because I have my wife is so thrilled because I have a whole room of bookshelves 
and I've stopped adding to them essentially because they're all digital now. <laughs> Saving space. Now you don't have to go buy a new house. Yeah. She's like, can you get rid of some of these books? I'm like, you don't get rid of books. You know what? That That's sacrilege. <laughs> I totally agree, especially since all those valuable notes are in there, at least for, right. my, for my books. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I'm looking at doing is getting your perspective on if you could read one book and, and, and recommend one book to an entrepreneur that is kind of a classic, what would that recommendation be? That one's easy and I do it all the time. And even though it's 15, almost 16 years old, and it's specifically related to online marketing. People are like, there's no way that's still relevant. And it is. And it's Permission Marketing by Seth Godin. It was the first marketing book I ever read. And thank God I was so clueless before because really that got me started the right way. I had nothing to unlearn building audiences that you have a direct relationship with and then building trust and then selling them things. And every company I've started, the first one failed, but it was based on those principles. I just didn't have anything to sell. I was trying to do advertising. That was the crash and burn at that time. But everyone since then has been built on that same principle and they've always succeeded and they, they keep getting better. Why they're better are the people that I work with. So I can't take credit for that, but it still goes back to the principles in that book. So some of the references may be dead, but email still the number one sales channel all these years later. 40 times greater than social media. And I think a lot of you don't want to hear that, but trust me, email is the transactional channel. You've got to build that email list. Wow. I think a lot of people need to hear that. And uh, it's, it's cool, particularly being in an email town with exact target, you know, obviously being founded here back in 99 uh, and selling recently to, to Salesforce uh, Indianapolis has, has long since been an email town and it's just refreshing to hear that it's not all necessarily Periscope and Twitter. No, I mean, and, and people are, are figuring this out. I mean, people, the whole Facebook bait and switch, you know, a lot of people are like, wait a minute, I need to go build on my own land, which we've been preaching for, I don't know how long. <laughs> and, uh, and we need, we need to focus on email. So, and it helps that, you know, it was McKinsey that did the study that said email is 40 times more effective. And this is, this is not an old study. This, I believe, was at the end of, of 2018. Um, so uh, it's funny. The big brands were some of the people on social media, but I think they're figuring it out. Yep, absolutely. Well, and, and one other question, uh, and that is, which book have you read in the last year that you would recommend to any and all entrepreneurs? Oh, that's a tough one. I read a lot. I've been on this for the first time in my life, kind of a personal development kick. Cool. I was, all, I, you know, I've been friends with some of the biggest personal development bloggers, but I w was always like, ah, I don't need to pay attention to that. You know, all I need is coffee and, you know, a bad attitude. But <laughs> <laughs> I've come to realize that that it's not just, you know, how hard you work and it's not just what you learn in a business context. And, and I'm glad to see that so much more of this information is getting out there, such as the importance of exercise, not only for staying healthy, but for your brain, you know, for your ability to have clarity and to find the right answer. Sleep, instead of pulling all-nighters, you should be adamant that you get enough sleep, whatever that is for you. I used to think it was six for me. It turns out it's more like seven and a half. 
So I always try to make get enough sleep. What was the other thing? Eating well. All this stuff seems like it's just about you and your body, and that has nothing to do with your business. Oh, the last thing, study after study shows that working past a certain point, it's it's beyond diminishing returns. And so again, we're as entrepreneurs, we're taught to to crank it out, you know. But this is for people outside of the valley, right? So yeah. You're writing your own script. So, you know, take care of yourself. One book on this, uh, there's a book called Spark. That's the one about the effects of exercise on learning and general performance in general. It, it's amazing how much it matters. If you're really trying to be all you can be, you know, putting in 18 hour days and neglecting exercise, diet, sleep, all of that kind of stuff, you're, you're actually hurting yourself. So that is my counterintuitive advice and a book to read. Hey, that is great advice. And I spark, I haven't actually heard of that. So I will, um, that's going to be the first thing I do after I get off this call is hit up amazon.com and, and get that book. And then right after that, head off to basketball to play with the other entrepreneurs that are in the verge league with me. There you go. That's right. Well, Brian, you have uh, such an inspiring story, and I really appreciate you sharing your perspective, uh, not just on being an entrepreneur, but all in all leading a a really good life uh, as an unemployable. Awesome, Brian. Thanks so much, man. That's it for our interview with Brian Clark from Copyblogger, Rainmaker FM, and Unemployable. But as you well know, that does not have to be the end of the conversation. I hope you take to the Twitters, to the Instagrams, to the Facebooks, to the Snapchat, to whatever new social platform is out there, and hit up my man, Brian Clark. He's just at Brian Clark. That's C-L-A-R-K, just like it sounds. Hit him up. Let him know what you learned. Let him know um, what you what questions you have for him. Let him know what you're working on right now. And if you think any of his products like Rainmaker might be a good fit, or even his approach. Maybe you're thinking about growing a software company and this whole venture capital thing doesn't sound like the right fit for you. Let him know. He's got great, great resources for you at all of his properties, unemployable.com, Rainmaker FM, Rainmaker Digital, copyblogger.com. It has been an awesome resource for me. I leveraged it highly when I started my first company in college as I was growing my own audience with my own products. So I really appreciated having this conversation with him. I really appreciate you for tuning in. Powder Keg is presented by Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent growing companies beyond Silicon Valley. We have a ton of free resources for starting and growing your business at vergehq.com. We also host several events every month around the country. So check us out and see where we're at. I would love to link up with you in person, learn a little bit more about what you're working on and how we can help. So again, that's vergehq.com. And of course, you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hunkler. That's at H-U-N-C-K. L-E-R. I appreciate all of your feedback, all the conversation and dialogue there. Thank you so much for continuing to give great feedback, great ideas for future shows. And of course, let me know how I can help. I want to help you. I want to help your business. And I want to help make this podcast better and better so that, again, we're helping more and more people the more interviews we do, the more episodes we have. So thanks to everyone who has done that. And of course, thank you Thank you, thank you to everyone who has left us a review this past week and subscribed on iTunes. You can leave us your honest review by using this link, powderkeg.co slash 
iTunes. Please give us a subscribe while you're at it and we'll be forever indebted to you because it's your reviews, it's your subscriptions and your feedback that help us get better and reach more people to build bigger and better businesses that really matter. Thank you so much for tuning in.